Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. It's me, David Mustaine, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Nice story. Welcome to Mill Up Your Podcast. Meet the Lucky. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 262, and it's been a while, but we're going to explore the big four again. And uh, this is a big one, I think, or maybe maybe it's not. I don't know. It's uh, I feel anticipated. Megadeth's Risk. Yeah, it's the one, probably the one people have asked us to do the most for Megadeth. Yeah, because it is a bit of a controversial record. It did not do well for them. So one might call it their Saint Anger. I don't know. Uh, maybe people do call it that. I'm not sure. But it, it wasn't necessarily a... Didn't have great reviews, all that stuff. Um, but we're going to dive into it. I have a feeling that uh, this being called a Saint Anger album is going to be a compliment the album doesn't even deserve. That's just my prediction. Okay. Because as and the last one of these we did was in March, so it's been a while. Yes. But yeah. I've listened to enough Megadeth albums now where I've I've formed a fairly cohesive opinion. Well, the, and and this is the fo- the follow up to an album that you actually liked, Cryptic Writings. Yeah, I like Cryptic Writings. You know? So this is an album where they took some chances, as we'll hear later, and uh, we'll go through some facts about that in a bit. Yeah, I do have to say, it's one of the worst record covers I've ever seen. It's pretty bad. And the one we're looking at is from the remastered version, so it's a different album cover than the original. I thought the original was not too bad. It was like a door with this like padlock-looking thing well, on it. Well, let me just describe this. So, And then I want to figure out what we're talking about here. With uh, By the way, we're an all-Metallica podcast. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. If you're joining us for the first time, we're two professional musicians. We talk about Metallica every week on this podcast. So you'll have to explain to me why... They changed all their album covers for the reissues. I've never really heard of that. They did some of them, not all of them. So this is apparently the new one. And let me just try to describe what it is. <laughs> it's tough. Because it's really rough. It's bad, yeah. At the bare minimum, what it is, is it's a, it's a cat looking through a little mouse door at a mouse that's about to eat some cheese off of a mouse trap. Look a little closer on that mouse trap, though. Is there something else on it? I see a piece of cheese. Right, right above that. There's a little little nugget to old Metallic, or sorry, Megadeth Records. What is that? Vic Rattlehead. It appears on most of the album covers. I can't see it. He's in there, and it's in. in it's just like in the wood of the mousetrap. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's like they're they were trying to like uh, you know maybe reissue this and like oh uh, sorry to our old school fans because the original artwork had a different logo too. You, it, similar to how Metallica changed their logo on Load and Reload, okay. it, it still resembled the Megadeth logo, but it wasn't the classic one. So you just see out another way that he's tried to copy Metallica after being booted from I the mean, band. Um, yeah. So here's the deal. I just described like conceptually what's happening on the cover. That's not even the worst part about it. The wall and the floor are almost the same color. It's this strange red. It looks like they're on Mars, maybe. Yeah, the mouse lives on Mars. <laughs> the The title risk is superimposed over the mouse. Like it looks like shit. It's yeah. It's it's not this, good. This looks like my daughter made it in second grade, like <laughs> art class. I think she would have done better, to be honest. So. Let me pull up because I'm now I'm curious to see what the original one is. Yeah, the original one is. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's like you know 
Is that it? Artistic masterpiece. That is definitely not it. I don't know what that is. Okay. Megadeth um, Risk album cover. I'm just giving everyone my flowchart on the Google all right, search. It. There it is right there. This right here? That's the original one. Okay. What is... What, oh, what the hell is going on here? What is this? What is that? So is that like... A, it's weird. It's almost like... It's like a weird mousetrap, but it almost <laughs> looks like a padlock. You, something you put a padlock on? <laughs> But so you see what I'm talking about? I mean, that's, that's not good. It's dude. not good. It's better than the the one they decided to this replace it with. This looks like Microsoft Paint. Look at this <laughs> logo, dude. So that's the that was the updated logo for their Risk album. What? Yeah, I gotta say they're they're like this is their OG logo, right? Yes. The the the, the, the I gotta say that one's pretty bitching. It's pretty badass. It's yeah. kind of Metallica ish. I mean, it is. I yeah. mean, it's basically a rip off of Metallica. This is unacceptably bad. It's it's not great, dude. <laughs> now, I mean. If if we're if we're having to choose a favorite of these two, what is that? Is that a mousetrap? I, I, that's what I'm. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's get the art director on the phone. Here. I um, mean, what is it? I in fact, I got to tell you, Ethan. I think I like the rat with the like that one better. I think okay. it's better. Okay. I mean, look at this color. It's a weird. There's just wood nothing about it that's interesting. It's so weird. Okay, well, we're getting off to a rough start on this album. <laughs> well, and I'm can't. not just being a jerk, right? These are bad. No, no, right? no. no. It, it's bad. Even 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 when I was kind of I, I you know prepping some stuff and uh, I looked up the cover and I was like oh yeah I forgot they did a different cover for the re- reissue or remaster or whatever yeah it's it's not great man I mean this makes the the semen and cow blood look like uh, you know Picasso yeah this makes oh, yeah. that look like a grand piece of art that would be, oh, yeah. be at you know MoMA or something in New yep. York woo yeah it's pretty Big rough swinging a miss on the art direction well yeah for sure. You can't win them all. You really can't, man. <laughs> I mean, it was 1999. Maybe they thought, I mean, maybe back then it was like, dude, this is this is what's up. If you take enough free throws, but, you're going to miss some of them. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's just how, it's just how it works. Okay, well, let's knock out some housekeeping before we <laughs> listen to this album. <laughs> Ethan came over and he sent me the album last night and he was like, hey, did you listen to it yet? That was a big hard no. I wasn't I wasn't expecting you to. I wasn't sure if you maybe did a little preview no. or anything like that. No, but. I have almost no curiosity about it. Well, I, I've only listened to the first maybe 15 seconds of the first song. I have not. You've never heard this record. I no. probably haven't listened to this record since it came out or shortly after. So it's all going to be basically new to me again as well. Let me tell you what I did last night. I stayed up a little late because I... I thought I had 30 minutes left on the Beatles doc, but I had an hour and 40 minutes left. Which you were stoked about. I, dude, I could watch. I mean, I was honestly, I was sad when it ended. Yeah. I could have just kept watching it. They could have done th- three more three-hour parts. And I, I was kind of bummed at the way it ended, too, because they basically, when they did the rooftop, uh, and you guys were right, man, the fact that they got like four of the final performances on the roof. Isn't that crazy? Without being able to hear themselves. That are on the album. is It really blew my mind. It almost made me cry. I mean, that's how, that's how like... And by rehearsed, I mean they weren't. They didn't necessarily rehearse for the show. They just recorded and wrote those songs so much. They just sat in there and played them over and over. Yeah, I mean, who yeah. knows how many times they actually played "Get Back" before they got on the rooftop? I mean, we saw it twenty times, but probably at least double that, if not more. I mean, there's still there's footage we haven't seen. So it, it, it was, it's pretty magical though to see them up there and, and 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 doing the songs multiple times to get like the right film take and stuff. Yeah, but then they go back in to do the acoustic songs, and that's kind of what they play over the credits. Yeah, but I'm like, well, I kind of wanted to see them record two of us and yeah. see them record "Let It Be," which they they kind of show you, but it's it's over credits and it's yeah, truncated yeah, for sure. I'm like, man, I, I want like let's finish it out. I want to see that day. I know because I guess they finished it that afternoon. And yeah, and I, and I think uh, they filmed some of it, and then that was it. And then then filming stopped, and they were basically done. But what, what was it, only three weeks later they started doing Abbey Road. Yeah, it's insane. 
So anyway, so I'm I'm coming in from a little bit of a Beatles cloud, which is only going to make Megadeth risk. I know even harder for me. But, well, listen, but I'm also going to have fun. Listen, man, we, we we've been pretty neck deep in listening to the Beatles and two of the greatest songwriters that have ever existed. I've also recently watched the making of the Wildflowers documentary mm-hmm. by Tom Petty, and so right. that's really all I've been listening to is Tom Petty and the Beatles. Right. I mean, yesterday when I was in HQ4, I was listening to the um, the Hey Jude compilation of all the you know uh, non-album uh, singles, mm-hmm. and then on the way over here, I was listening to Full Moon Fever. It's like I'm just in that. So this will be a trick or a treat. We'll see. Oh boy. Okay. Well, we're on all the socials: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. I want to say thank you to James. Puchlinko, who became a patron. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you'll, you, hear, you'll hear a commercial later about how to join us on the old Patreon, how to get involved, how to support us as we continue to do the Lord's work listening to Megadeth albums That's that right, even yeah. Megadeth fans don't like. Right. We're listening to a Megadeth album today that even Megadeth fans don't like. There's probably Megadeth fans out there that do like this, but I would the wide variety of them probably do not. I mean This is the only time in my entire life that I've actually thought like, I wish I was in a big convention with Megadeth fans and that I had a microphone. And I could just ask people what they think about these album covers. Got any Risk fans out there? <laughs> Woo! I mean, it, 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 it's it's a it's a huge sign that they did this record coming off of a great record like Cryptic Writings, and then after this record, they went right back to Thrash World in like t- classic Megadeth sound. What's the record after this one? Uh, I think it's called The World Needs a Hero. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I love your initial reactions to Megadeth stuff. The world needs a fucking hero. And it's me. Oh, my God. Not all heroes wear canes. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> Kiss does have a song called A World Without Heroes. It's okay. actually really good. Okay. Really good. On their worst album called The Elder. The Elder. You know anything about that album? I don't know anything about that album. They were coming off of... Uh, God, what were they coming off of? Anyway, that doesn't matter. But they got Bob Ezrin, who did The Wall. Oh, okay. And they wrote... A concept album called The Elder. The Elder. Yes. Talk about a shitty album cover. I'm going to show you the cover. Yeah, I would love to see, right love to see this. One of the worst ever. Man. Anyway, it totally tanked. They didn't even tour it. Okay. It's considered one of the biggest flops in like rock and roll history. Really? And now I kind of want to listen to it. Maybe we can do a thing called Kiss Splore the Big Four. Kiss Splore the Big Four? Play Kiss's Four Biggest Flops. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not great. So it's just a hand on a door. Like a big metal knocker. The Elder. And it's called Music from the Elder. Music from the Elder. Because I guess this Elder was like a guy that, I don't know, taught him the truth, ancient Let truth. Me, I am the Elder. <laughs> Let me show you the ways of modern music oh, and the boy. ancient the, I'm, rhymes. I'm honestly seeing some similarities with these covers, though, in their shittiness. They're both shitty. <laughs> they both kind of look like they have like a Mars-ish theme. Yeah, kind the of an red. orange, red hue. Yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> well, let's go into the email corner and uh, check out some emails from the Melby Podcast family, see what's going on, and then we'll listen to some Megadeth. Let's go. Our first email is from Matt Curry. says, hello, brothers. Metallica has spent the past 30 years fending off criticisms that the Black Album was a non-sellout. With this year's marketing blitz, it seems they have embraced it. The 12 tracks may still be pure, but the aura surrounding the album no longer is. This is a hot take from Matt Kerr about the Black Album and Matt all that. Matt Kerr, man. Coming in hot. I mean, Matt's not wrong. They've, they've really, ca- they've beyond capitalized on on the reissue and stuff to, to, to a point where it is getting, a, it's pretty annoying. I wonder if it's just going to get worse, not with the Black Album, but just, you know, from a, from a business standpoint, I get it. They're, they got to make that money while they can. 
there may not be a lot more years left to capitalize on right. their biggest. I mean, obviously, this is their last time to really capitalize on their biggest album, except for, I guess, the 40th anniversary of the Black Album, the 50th anniversary <laughs> right, of the Black yeah. Album. There's, they're at a point now where almost every day is the anniversary. 25 LP <clears throat> set. Like, you know, we follow a lot of those Metallica accounts on Instagram or Twitter just to sort of keep abreast of whatever's going on. And it's just every day there's like something that happened on this day 20 years ago. Right, yeah. Jump in the Fire was released. Yeah. And it's like, man. Some of that's fun, but I mean, that's all info. You can just go to your website and find out for yourself. I, I actually find it really tedious and boring. And I, I always, you know, the thing that makes me think about the most is the people who run those accounts. I'm like, so every day you like look up a fact about Metallica. Yeah. Find a photo. You got to find a picture. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I just feel like my time has evaporated into, yeah. into nothing. Yeah. 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 That's that, 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 that sounds tedious and kind of honestly kind of boring. <laughs> so, you know, I call it the kissification yeah. of 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 the thing where it's like okay make your money because here's the deal too all their most of their fans not all their fans are of a certain age because this is what happened with kiss once they got to a certain level which was like the mid 90s all their fans were people in their 40s and 50s mm. who ha had established careers and who had money yeah they weren't the kids anymore in the 70s who were mo getting mom and dad giving 10 bucks to go see kiss yeah they can afford it so when your fan base is mostly people with careers and money. Well, you start selling them a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, totally. Because they got the goddamn money. And there's a there's enough of them out there that will buy every every little thing. And there's like you know collectors and things like that. That's but. why you get the twenty five hundred dollar hardware experience because they're like, well, our fans have expendable. Now, when they when I say this, when I say Metallica's fans have expendable income, I'm not talking about me or me. I don't have twenty five hundred dollars to right. spend to shake James Hetfield's hand. But, but you're right though. There's a, there's there's a, probably a good percentage of people that went on to do actual fruitful careers and made a lot of money and they're still Metallica fans so they can or not even like not even a lot of money but yeah but just like normal normal careers yeah their, their kids are probably out of college they have and they have normal jobs yeah so they got they got some coin they can buy the $500 Yeti cooler sure but again and, and you know you have to put this strictly in the non kill Bon Jovi column <laughs> so I'm, t I'm torn a little bit I have the ideological ideological side of me that's like this kind of sucks yeah, there's a part of it that it's it's overkill. And then know? there's part of me that's like, well, go make that jangle while you can, baby. Yeah. I get it. You know? I mean, we've 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 spent plenty of money on Metallica. We've bought we've bought shirts, we've bought little things. I have a, sk a skateboard deck that was gifted to me by Namarta. We've bought tickets to shows, all that stuff. I've probably given that band more money than any other band. Maybe yeah. maybe Pearl Jam, maybe Kiss. It's, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'd probably give Metallica the most money of any band in my life. Yeah, pro I'm, yeah I'm probably in the same boat. Happily. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I love them. I yeah. love their records. But I think what Matt's getting on to here, I, th I think, and honestly, I'll be honest with you guys out there. I'm having private correspondence with several Metallica fans and Melody Podcast people and our friends. It's a shared sentiment. I think people are yeah. getting a little worn out. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's pretty tiring. It's okay to lay low, dudes. That, I mean, keep that mystery going. You it's know, okay like, to lay low and just work on your album. Yeah, but I mean, maybe there's a sense of obligation because there were, you know, 2020 was canceled. And they haven't, they didn't really do that many shows this year. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's 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 a business, is what it is. So yeah. it's a machine, and it keeps all their employees paid, and it yeah. keeps a it keeps like it keeps them um, part of the conversation and culture. Yeah. There's good sides to it for sure. Good. I get it. All right. Well, thank you for your opinion, Matt, even though it's, you know, I think part of being a fan is being able to be critical if it's sure. necessary. And we might even be wrong about it too. Yeah. I'm open to that also. Uh, our next email is from Michael Grosvenor. He says, hi lads. Well, it's been quite some time since I've written into the show aside from comments and texts. 
I was so struck by the Get Back film as well, just seeing how the sauce was made further illustrates that uh, no one really knows how it happens, which is something we've been saying in our master class for like a month or two now. Yeah. Uh, he says, look at these masters' work. It really was inspiring. I'm glad this came out as the original Let It Be film painted the end is way more dark than it is. I'm glad Get Back did show those elements, but also showed some great real moments of joy. Agreed. I will say this about the Beatles versus Metallica comparisons. I really see any kind of comparison to everyone's role in the band. All right. So people have been sort of mildly obsessed with us finding comparisons here. Right. I, I, so let's go through it. He says, James and Lars are John and Paul, largely the two driving forces in the band coming to personal business and creative differences. Kirk is Ringo, largely quiet but funny, trying to be the peacekeeper and the steady member. He says, Jason Newstead is George who feels as though he's not able to get his creativity out in the Beatles and wants to do his own project alongside so he can get his music out so he's ultimately happier in the Beatles. I've got to say, Billy Preston was the MVP. I love how the band lit up and the energy his presence gave him. Man, I'm so glad this all exists. Thanks for all you do, Michael. Yeah, Billy Preston was, I mean, I give him an MVP award. I mean, when he set foot in that studio, and if you haven't seen the documentary, sorry, spoiler alert, he just shows up just to say, hey. Yeah. He's in town doing some of his own music shit appearing on like a tv show or something and he just comes by the studio to say what's up i got to imagine because they were just talking like a few days before like getting like i think the guy from the animals or the stones mm-hmm. guy i got to imagine someone in the beetle uh in the beetle bunker put a word out to billy preston and said hey man might be real good for you to show up and say hey beetles are working on an album yeah you're gonna be in london i'm just saying might be real smart of you Come by for a piece to of show toast. up and say hi. Yeah. Because there's no way he just showed up. I mean, I could see that maybe like, oh, hey, my, 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 they're my friends. No one else showed up. No one else showed no one up. Because it, it wasn't or no, like... Who, who, who was the actor that showed up at the... At Twi- oh, Twi- my God. Peter, Peter Sellers. Sellers. How awkward was that? Well, here... They were kind of riding him hard. Dude, that's the Beatles, man. Yeah. The Beatles were this little club that... I mean, I'm not saying they were right, but they... They were giving him a hard not they weren't even giving him a hard time. They were just toying. They were just yeah. it was like a little plaything. Because they lived in that little beetle bubble and you just see Peter Sellers like almost as soon as he's done, he's like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. This sucks. I don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. I feel like maybe they're making fun of me and I cannot hang with this and I'd rather not be here. Dude, that was uncomfortable. And he's really quickly like, Well, I well, well, well big, big gulps, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were necessarily trying to be cruel to him, but I that's beetle wit that's just that's just that's just what they did i mean yeah it kind of is just what they did dude and it, it's probably it's, one and it was this, a test i was about to say it's probably on this test like hey can you dish it back it was a test and, can you and, hang and he failed oh he absolutely failed but i also see it too like he was like i gotta get out of here i don't i don't want to do this today <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'm peter fucking sellers um but the thing is the idea that billy preston just showed up because the beatles are making a record i don't think that they were in open sessions dude i don't think it was like hey whoever's around just come check right. out the beatles i, I wonder if they're already tied were... enough though if, like if, if they had met, met met numerous times and, and i think and they stuff. just met each other briefly well we're all glad billy preston was there I, I think someone in the know was like hey man they're they're struggling they're talking about getting a keyboard player yeah you need to come by come by and say hello pay a visit real quick you know a lot of the music industry is like that you get a little tip you get a little yeah. thing you try to show up at the right place at the right time yeah try to be cool next thing you know you're you're here's the thing that that is curious to me though um this is going to come out on monday i dropped like a big beatles radio episode yeah last i saw night. that awesome and i talked about this in the thing it's curious to me that they started abbey road three weeks later but billy preston's not on abbey road 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, unless he had some other crazy obligations back in the U.S. and couldn't stay. I don't know, I mean, but it's a Beatles record. There's no way anything was more important than doing on another Beatles record. There's no way. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's interesting. Yeah, but I mean, pretty awesome that he was in town doing this stuff. However he got there, little birdie told him or whatever. And then it's basically like, you just need to stay for the rest of this month and play on this whole thing and play with us on the rooftop. Well, at one point, Paul's like, hey, uh, I guess we haven't talked about this, but um thank you for coming every day yeah and we're gonna get you paid and, yeah you know because i guess at some point he just showed up and they were like well, you're in the band now like yeah you're in the band for this session right we start at 11 tomorrow you know yeah and you can see him billy Preston. he's like i'll be there no problem no problem yeah, if the beatles say you're gonna play on this you say yes <laughs> and he only missed like i think two days where he had to go film something and that How, was it I, I loved it too when uh one of the one of the members or maybe their manager or something's like well, we'll, they were like, we'll try to get him a, they would like make those acetates. Yeah. They're like, we'll try to get, we'll try to get something together so he could take it home and learn it. And George was like, I think he'll learn it faster if we just play it. Yeah. And he's also Billy Preston. Like he's right. one of the most badass keyboard yeah, players I think that's around. why, I think it was one of the engineers who doesn't know. And George is like, right. he can learn it by listening to it. He'll, he'll yeah. be fine. That's Billy Preston. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be fine. So, okay, so let's talk about this. Uh, members of the Beatles as members of Metallica thing that everyone wants us to right. talk about. Obviously, John and Paul are going to be Lars and yeah, James, but I'm telling you, the, 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 all the comparisons break down. There is similarities between how passive James can be with how passive John kind of comes off. You right. know, let's Paul run the show. Yeah. But comparing Lars and Paul creatively makes no sense at that all. That makes no sense, yeah. Paul is the best musician in the band. Yeah. He can play every instrument. Yeah. And he co-wrote literally not handshake deal. He actually co-wrote all of those songs. Yeah. So, yeah, I you, mean, you could say that, like, yeah, Paul, Paul kind of runs the show, but Paul runs the show with, as a burden. He doesn't really want to run the show. He, I mean, he, I think he, he wants it to be this democracy where yeah. it's like, hey, let's he wants it to be a yeah. band. I mean, there's, pl- there's plenty of scenes in there where, you know, they're all off kind of joking around. And he's over there working out something yeah. by himself, yeah. which is rad. And he seems to be the one most burdened by the whole project. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? What are we going to do? Everyone else kind of noodling. He's like, guys, we got to figure out what we're doing. He wants direction. Um, my sense about Lars is that he happily, you know, he, I actually heard him say recently in, and it may have been the master class where he's like, I like being the hustler guy. I like drumming it all up. I, mm-hmm. I like being the guy that sent out the demo to everyone across the world. I, you know, I like getting it all together. Right. Yeah. Whereas with Paul, I think he, I think he almost resented it. Um, but he can't not do it, but he can't not do it because someone has to, because they, they had a, you know, they didn't have their manager, George, like Jason. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, you can see it in the third part where George is telling John and Yoko, he's like, hey, I'm thinking about making my own album. And what I really loved about that is immediately Yoko is like encouraging him to do that. Yeah. She was like, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, and it's pretty it, awesome. And George even says, he's like, I think it would preserve the Beatles yeah. if we all had a way to just get these songs out of the way. Because he was like, I've got more, I've got quotas from my songs for the next 10 years of Beatles albums. Yeah. He's like, I kind of just want to get them out of the way. Right. And you can see John being like, yeah, I think that's cool. And Yoko's like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. You yeah. know, like being really supportive of that. Yeah. I thought that was really sweet. I thought it was very sweet as well. Uh, as far as Ringo and Kirk, what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, yeah, they are, the, the, I guess you could say the quiet ones. Uh, but what about Rob or Cliff? Robert Cliff. I mean, I feel like, I don't know if Cliff would have been down for what they were doing. He didn't like the studio, Cliff. Right. 
but I think he liked the creative process because obviously he wrote some most amazing stuff in Metallica music. Yeah. So maybe he, I think, I don't think he would have been as maybe as patient as everybody else. I think he would have been like, Hey, we got it down. I'm good. Yeah. That's kind of the vibe I would get from Cliff. I don't think he would want to be in there. Uh, I like when George is like, are we going on the roof? And Paul's like, well, we've talked about it. You know, if you want to, and George goes, well, listen, if we're going to play on the roof, I'll play on the roof. But I don't want to go on the roof. Listen, Paul, if you want me to play on the roof, I'll play on the roof. <laughs> he just, he's like, why would anyone want to go on the roof? He's like, yeah. I don't want to do that, but I'm willing to. Right. Here are the things like, <clears throat> I'm not super tempted to draw a bunch of comparisons to the Beatles with Metallica. Right. It's not that interesting to me. Sure. It's just two bands we like. Yes. But I will say this. Here are the two things that are. I will say. Number one, the Beatles are, or Metallica are the Beatles of metal. Yes. In that they're the greatest metal band of all time with the best songs and the best albums. Yep. That's similar to the Beatles. Here's another thing. I honestly think that Get It Get it Back is the most revealing, shocking, interesting documentary ever about a great band. And the only movie that comes close to it is Some Kind of Monster. Yeah, agreed. So, I mean, I'm telling you, that's the, the best ever is this new movie, Get Back. Yeah. The most revealing ever. And number two really is Some Kind of Monster. I mean, I can't think of another documentary that, that shows that side yeah. of, 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 of a band. Shows them working it out. Shows them talking about business. Shows them talking about money. Shows them de- rubbing against each other, dealing with each other, finding each other again, having yeah. fun again, and you know, making an album that they're trying to squeeze out. Like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And just seeing the fundamentals of how a band works. No other... The Last Waltz doesn't do that. No. I mean, I can't even think of anything else that does that for a band that big. You know, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Uh, am I, what am I leaving out? There's I, like I don't, I don't that know. Give Me Shelter documentary is not that, you know, that's not really what this is. No, um, I mean, uh, oh, there's documentaries that, that would probably like to claim that they're showing like oh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of what the, it was like to do this. But a lot of stuff is still probably heavily filtered by members, especially if they're still an active band or something. This is footage from 50 years ago that, you know, they're finally putting out, you know, in its, in its truest form. It's so crazy to see them hanging out. I know. I've just, we've never seen anything like it. Like when they come off of the roof. So it, all the documentary footage I've ever seen of that rooftop performance is like the police shut it down. Right. And then they, then they broke up or whatever. Then they made it Abbey Road and broke up. But what you see in this documentary is the meeting they had right afterwards where they're all in the control room and they're yeah. like, well, that was cool. We what? did it. And they're like, well, it's actually good. We can just let it, you know, it'll look like the police shut us down, but we have to record the acoustic songs in here anyway. Yeah. And they're like, well, let's, you guys want to go to lunch and then we'll do the acoustics. Like, I know that sounds boring to someone who maybe not been to the Beatles, but to someone who's listened to Let It Be for 20 years Mm -hmm. and to just know what is actually behind it, like to see that one after 909 is from the rooftop. I've got a feeling it's from the rooftop. Yeah. Uh, That there's like four more from the rooftop. I think, I think, I think think the last version of the get back, get back, dig a pony, man. Anyway, like half the record, they took takes from the rooftop performance. That's how well rehearsed and what a great band they were and speaking of the master class there's paul this is the last thing we'll say on this but paul says they're talking about the rooftop and trying to get the songs recorded for the record and paul's like we are at our best when we're backed up against the wall yeah he's like we've been rehearsing the songs we know the songs let's just get up there and record them and those are the ones that made the album those were the they played them a hundred times sitting there yeah across from each other but it was on the roof under duress yep under like really weird circumstances where they probably could not hear their vocals at all oh yeah I have a friend. I have a friend. I can't say who it is. Yeah, text me this morning because they're doing some TV this morning in yeah. New York, and uh, I was asking him about something. He was like, "Well, literally everything's in the tracks," and I was like, "Even the vocals," and he was like, "Yeah, yeah. all the vote." Wow. He's like, "We're lip syncing today." Crazy. 
And I wrote, and this is a huge Beatle freak. We've been having similar conversations yeah. about the Beatles. I said, fun, just like the Beatles. <laughs> and <clears throat> this is such so juxtaposed because I was watching that footage last night. You and Paul told me about it on our yeah. Tangent City, but I hadn't seen it. And I'm just watching them sing perfectly in key and in harmony. And I know that they can't hear themselves. Well, because the, the, they literally have two PA speakers. Two that fender, are pointed down. Right? They're leaned against the railing so the, so the people gathering in the street can hear it. So they might be able to hear like an ambient version of what's right. going on bit bouncing off buildings, but that's but, about but it. But it's muscle memory. It's got to just be raw Absolutely, talent. Yeah. Raw talent, man. The, um, I was watching this thing the other day where Steph Curry hit 109 three-pointers in a row. Jeez. 109. 109. That's just raw talent. Yep. For Paul McCartney to stand there in the fucking wind outside and be able to watch John's lips and sing perfect harmony to Don't Let Me Down. Mm-hmm. It's like Steph Curry hitting a hundred threes. Yeah, it's pretty insane. It's just raw. And he's he's like they're all having a blast up there. And they're having fun as hell. Paul Paul especially is just like he can't not move. Yeah. It's I mean, it's so cool to watch. Man. I know. Like it just it Even made, George is having fun. Yeah. I mean, George is the one when 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 their uh the the uh, roadie guy came over to turn George's amp off, yeah. he was like, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> he just turns it dude, back. Dude, so on. punk rock, dude. Turn it right back on. I, I was surprised to see that because I thought that's their tour manager. Yeah. And so you guys were telling me that a roadie does it, but that's actually a guy named Mal Evans who's that's like right, kind of right. high up in their world. Yeah, I would have been so pissed at him. He's obviously in a tight spot because the police are telling him to, to cut it. Right, cut it off. But he actually turned George's amp off. I would have been pretty mad. Yeah, it's like, hey. If our tour manager turned my amp off, I'd be like, dude, we go to jail together or or bust. Yeah. Don't turn my amp we'll off. We'll make the call when we're done. Yeah, if we all go to jail, fine. Yeah. It would be a great ending to the film. Yeah. You can see when Paul notices the cops are up there, he gets a little juiced because he's like, "Oh fuck yeah!" Yeah, he was like, "Let's let's do this." <laughs> yeah. yeah, he looks back and has that like, like kind of look on his face, like, "Oh, it's on." Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I love. So he's it. like, "What are they gonna do? Yeah, they're gonna arrest us. We're the Beatles. Like, yeah, we might go to jail for a night. Who gives a shit?" How about that lady? It's like, "I don't like it. It woke me up. It woke me up." It's like lunchtime. I know it's super I'm like, weird. Bitch, get up. Do something with your life. There's a few like <laughs> grumpy Brits down on the street that are like, it's just a bunch of rockets. Oh, don't like it. They have to do it in the street, do they? Why are they on the roof? Another weird thing about that too is like even the obvious Beatle fans, like you don't expect, no one freaks out. They're like, do you know what that is? And they're like, no. And they're like, that's the Beatles. Everyone's like, oh, right. All right. They sound good. I, lo- I rather like it. Some people guess it. They're like, that sounds like Paul McCartney. Yeah. It, but yeah, no one's really losing their minds. It's almost like it's maybe surreal. And they can't see them. Right. So, so they can literally just hear them. At one right. point, the Beatles, they, they kind of re- lean over the railing yeah. real quick. But that was only like a song or two in. What a what a f- cool thing, man. I mean, so like, th- put you know, put those, you know, your, ourselves in their shoes. What if we were walking to downtown Nashville and we heard what sounded like Metallica, but we couldn't see them. Right. And they're like, oh, they're playing up there. We're like. I guess we wouldn't <laughs> be freaking out either. Really? Like, <laughs> are, I mean, it sounds like him, but I don't know. Yeah, in and I guess, and I guess we would do what they all did. We would sort of just kind of confusedly stand there and listen. I mean, and I would probably do what they did and just I'm going to stay here, <laughs> right? See what happens, just in case, you know. <sighs> yeah, I mean, what a great! I, I do want to watch it again at some point. I'm going to have to. I mean, I was thinking that last night too. I was like, well, I'm going to have to watch this again. Yeah, I imagine what will happen is as we all, I think we're all dealing with that. We're all kind of finishing it. Yeah. It took a few weeks for all of us to just find our way through it. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us, everyone I've talked to is like, well, I mean, this is required further viewing. Oh, yeah. I do think we'll just end up finding the parts we like the most and kind of knowing what our favorite parts are. Yeah, for like, sure. Like, I don't know if I, I mean, I'm going to do the whole thing again, but I, I don't know. There are definitely parts of it that I could have moved on from. Yeah. But anyway, all right. 
Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Tangent City here. For real, part seven. Uh, Joanna writes, hi, guys. I'm probably behind sharing the news, but it seems like you don't have to miss Talc anniversary shows because they sent me emails about the streaming free on Amazon Music and Prime. Uh, plus, they show a plethora of films like Cunning Stones, Three Nights in Mexico, and such. I guess it's pretty cool. At least my penniless <laughs> worlds, uh, my penniless worlds stay safe. Mother and Father Earth and Paul. Lots of hugs from rainy Manchester, UK, New Jersey. Well, yeah, uh, we found this out yesterday that Metallica is live streaming the two 40th anniversary shows, which is pretty badass. If you have Prime or Amazon Music. Well, here's the little rumble going on in the Metallica community. Okay, is the fact that they're streaming it on Prime. They're they're basically broadcasting it to the world for free. Right. If, well, if you have Prime, yeah, which is like a hundred bucks a year, yeah. Um, people are worried that this is not going to be like a deep cut type sitch. It's it's another promotional tool. Just like a, it's just going to be maybe a normal two hour show, but maybe a, a couple little things. Maybe mixed a in couple there. little special things, but not like the thirtieth anniversary. Well, I mean, thirtieth anniversary shows were like, I mean, probably if you were there, probably three or four hours long. Lots of introductions to people, yeah. get guests, all that right. stuff. I'd imagine it was and a And they long played night. like 100 unique songs. I mean, they yeah. they played shit they'd never played before. So crazy. They played, um, you know, so they played To Live Is To Die at that game. Yeah. They played, they played all of, uh, each night played a song off Beyond Magnetic. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. They played Dirty Window. Um, so. I mean, uh, it'd be a bummer if it was just, you know, for a 40th anniversary, it's like, oh, that was. I guess the thing before, before it felt like this is for fans. This is for right, us. Yeah. This is for the fifth members. This is for everyone who's been a fan for them to be putting it on like a massive platform. It feels like, Oh, this might be to remind the world that they're Metallica or get new fans. Yeah. And if that's the case, they're not playing Dyer's Eve. They're playing Inner Sandman. <laughs> exactly. They're playing Sabbath True. I mean, I, I will hope for the best. I, I, I'm excited to watch it. Um, yeah, we're going to do it. Are we going to have a little soiree? Either at either at my house or uh, uh, Paul tentatively said we can do it at HQ3 Cool. on the projector. Here's the only downside. It starts at 9 p.m. West Coast time. Right. So the show won't even, for us, won't even start to 11 p.m. Right. Obviously, more of a bummer if you maybe live overseas or something, but uh, it's going to be a late night. But I'm down to I'm well, down to, to get on that ride. I'm down to hang out. I'll ride, I'll ride, I'll ride into the sunrise. How about exactly. That? All right. Um, thank you, Joanna. We'll all uh, we'll all burn it down together and see what happens. Yeah. I, like you, I hope for the best. For sure. Joe Cap says, "What's up, brothers? Just finished the most recent Tangent City episode, and while I enjoyed all of it, the last few minutes where Paul is talking about being open to experiences and being outside your comfort zone really stood out to me." There's a possible promotion coming up on the National Guard side of what I do that would take me away from the unit I've been a part of for a very long time and giving up some stability in that way. I've been a little on the fence about it, but Paul's words couldn't have been better timed and helped me realize this is what I've been working towards, and I would regret not doing this while I have the chance, so please pass along my thanks. Wow. Hey, Paul. Paul. Paul? Hey, Joe says thanks. <laughs> he says, I was able to catch the Morgan Wade show in Little Rock. The band kicked ass, and it was great to see you guys doing what you love. Looking back, I should have messaged, but I didn't want to intrude on your time. I'm sure show days can be extremely busy. Oh, man. Should have said hi. Um, the Beatles doc, holy crap, what a thing to have and be able to experience. Not that you two need more work, but if you decided to do a series just on that, I'd be on the ride. Time to make like a tree and get out of here. <laughs> From Little Rock, New Jersey, November 5th, 1955. Thanks, Joe Caps. <laughs> I like that little uh, addition to the sign-off. I love all the Back to the Future stuff on our show. I love that. I love when people start emails with Dear Mother, Dear Father Earth. Love it. All that stuff. It's great. Well, thanks, Joe. Uh, yeah, bummer we couldn't say hello, but I'm glad you enjoyed the show in Little Rock. 
Last email is from Tyler Hull. He says, what's up, brothers? Have you guys ever had a chance to listen to Let It Be Naked? It was released in 2003, and it's the, uh, it's the songs that were on the album without any kind of overdubs or orchestration, orchestration that was added by the, uh, later by Phil Spector. Just the four dudes and Billy Preston. Not knowing what songs uh, that were now put- knowing. Oh, sorry. Now knowing what uh, what songs were played on the rooftop that were used for the album has given me insane chills after listening to it again. It's clean sounding, precise, just overall amazing. Still digging the podcast. Happier tour went great, and I'm excited to see what Metallica has in store for the 40th anniversary shows. Thanks, Tyler, Tyler Hole, patron from Oklahoma City, New Jersey. Yeah, I've I've historically not liked the Let It Be Naked because I. I actually like Phil Spector's like string arrangements and stuff, but right. man, I listened to him back to back the other week and let it be naked is way better it's pretty awesome there's some really odd mix choices on let it be there are yeah i mean and i'm, I'm with you i mean i like what phil Spector did there's a lot of great stuff in there but it's just cool you know it's cool to go back and just listen to it as is you there's know? also an, a newer i think a 2020 remix of let it be too that's that's i've checked out that's kind of okay but yeah i do recommend the let it be naked it's pretty cool yeah it's just yeah it's just it's just a way better mix um, and if you like, if you're into the remix thing, the the one cool little tidbit about that it is Giles Martin remixing them, uh, George Martin's son. So if you're down with that, that's available. But yeah, let it be naked. We would love to uh, have you guys listen to that instead. Um, okay, well we're done with the emails. Check out this Patreon commercial if you're willing and able. If you think the show has value, goes a long way. Uh, giving us five bucks, ten bucks a month, basically like buying us a beer or a cup of coffee. And we appreciate it. And of course, there's all sorts of giveaways over there. We still have to give away this deluxe box set. Deluxe box set. We got the uh, Metal Podcast custom water bottles. Yeah, we've got we got to figure out what to do. We got to give those well, away. Let's figure it out this week. And maybe we'll announce it next week. Who okay, knows? cool. Uh, check out the Patreon commercial. We appreciate your support, and we'll come back and listen to Risk by Megadeth. Let's do it. Hey everyone, Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slang Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little. Yellow. Different. All right, do you have any facts? Clint, I'm, man, I'm glad you asked, man. Let's I, learn I, some facts. I've got a slew of facts. I'm going to read through these uh, briefly, and we'll uh, to intro this, this album we're about to embark on. Uh, Megadeth's Risk came out in 1999. It was recorded here in Nashville, Tennessee at the tracking room between January and April of 1999. Produced by Dan Huff and Dave Mustaine, and Dan Huff also produced Cryptic Writings, as we mentioned earlier. And 
So Dan Huff is known for his work in country music as a producer and a session guitarist. He's worked with artists like Faith Hill, Amy Grant, Between McBride, Shania Twain, Billy Ray Cyrus, Leanne Rams, Karen Wood, Kelly Clarkson, Taylor Swift, etc. But most importantly, Clint, this is uh, what I want to hammer. I want to hit the, the, the nail right on the head with this one. He has played guitar on the following albums by Michael Bolton. Mm-hmm. Soul Provider, The One Thing, This Is The Time, All That Matters, and Timeless, The Classics, Volume 2. And I'd like to point out, too, that all music once described the album Soul Provider is stoking the romantic fires in bedrooms across America. Absolutely. So we might need to, I mean, Time, Love, and Tenderness is a, is a classic, but we might need to dip into some Soul Provider. <laughs> we might need to check out Soul Provider. I don't know, man. We'll see. I just find it interesting that, weren't, wouldn't Megadeth fans have been, like, I think that him playing on Michael Bolton shit's cool. Sure. I, I know Dan Huff's pedigree. Dan Huff's awesome. Done a lot of shit. But I got to imagine your average Megadeth fan would have been like, well, this is a pretty fucking lame dude to make a Megadeth like, album. Who? That was that who first, and then once they found out, you know, they dial up internet, they're like, oh, wow. Oh, the guy that did Faith Hill, Amy Grant, Martina McBride, Shania Twain, and Billy Ray Cyrus? He's going to do the next Megadeth record? What? I don't I don't think they would have been right to make that judgment, but it just, it just struck me as like, uh, that seems like kind of lame for a metal fan. Yeah, or as a, as a hardcore Megadeth fan, wouldn't have that have been the first red flag? Not that you, know, you haven't even heard the record yet and what it would become. I would imagine if you're like a Megadeth true, that would be a big turnoff right away. Anyway, you can't judge a book by its cover, but... Of course. Now we can judge a Megadeth album by its cover, which we're looking at right now, which is not good. Well, compared to the original one. I mean, the cat. <laughs> I just... I hope someone's looking at it right now. Like, what's the deal? Why is the wall and the floor like blended together? It's supposed to be like this rat lives in hell or something, or... Or it, look, or it looks like they're in like a little adobe, like a clay house. A, a, adobe house on Mars. But wait a minute. So who set the mouse trap? A, a human had to have. The cat couldn't have done that. Cats cats can't... First of all, can't make mouse traps, and cats also can't, you know, pick them up or set them down. They don't have opposable thumbs. Yeah. So... Well, also, if the cat could get in, in the mouse home to set the trap, he would just get the mouse. And yeah, it looks like the cat can't even get through that little, you know, Alice in Wonderland door. So what yeah. is going on? So if the, here's my question. If the mouse gets the cheese and then the, thus the trap break it, breaks its neck, the cat still can't get in there to get the cat's eat just going to starve outside. He's going to stare at the meal that he thought he could have. And who's taking the risk? So the, the mouse is risking his life for the cheese. It's pretty risky. But the risk isn't the cat. The risk is the trap. Anyway, it's a mystery. I don't, I don't, it's a mystery. This it, cover. it really is. It All is. right, let's move on with the uh, notes. All right, some more facts here. We, uh, eighth studio album at Megadeth, debuted at number 16 on the Billboard chart, so not too bad for a, a record that people didn't really like. Certified gold. Uh, first to have the lineup change since 1990, the classic lineup changes everyone knows, you know, from the, the Rest in Peace era. Uh, first to fe- uh, feature Jimmy DeGrasso on drums. So, so Cryptic Writings is Marty Friedman. And, and Martin Freeman's on this one as and well. And Nick Menza. And Nick Menza. So it, okay. was, it was that, you know, that lineup of Rest in Peace and Countdown to Extinction and all that stuff. So um, Nick Menza had left the band. And so Jimmy, Jimmy DeGrasso was playing drums. He was a badass metal drummer. He played on a few Megadeth things. He played on Suicide Tendencies. He didn't record. play with Shania? And he only played with Billy Ray Cyrus. But that's how he got his start back in the day. <laughs> uh, but this is the last album to feature Marty Freeman and lead guitar. This, uh, this is interesting. The title stems from a comment by Dave Mustaine's former Metallica bandmate, Mr. Lars Ulrich, who suggested to Mustaine that he should take more risks with his music. Wow. Is there any more information about that? Uh, I couldn't really find that. This is according to Dave. So take that for what it's worth. Like when did that conversation occur? Was it a friendly conversation? Was it? I have no idea. I I, I tried to look up where where that came from and I couldn't really find anything. But 
we all know if it comes from the mouth of me that sometimes that can might be a little you know not the most accurate he's not yeah he's not really the most reliable narrator right so of his own story and here's another one dave mustaine claimed that the poor sales were due to it being called a megadeth record as in stylistically it's not megadeth so it should have been called something else and maybe it would have been more successful i guess which i think is kind of just like a cop-out it's like hey man you made this own it you know maybe it should be called it mega darth and it was like about darth vader in space with a guitar uh, yeah with a pointy jackson guitar that'd be pretty bitching i'd listen to that record <laughs> uh the band's manager bud prager had told them that they needed to do something that will make all of their audience oh, sorry all of their contemporaries knock themselves on the head and say why didn't we think of that so the- <laughs> so that already kind of contradicts what and may, or maybe in addition in, in addition to maybe the, that's why dave mustaine went this route lars has said you should take more risks but this i mean why didn't we think of that well because well first of all the album cover is bad i'm glad you didn't think of that contemporaries yeah. i i mean to me i look at that as just is this manager lingo of like he's doing sh- six shooter pistols with his hands going yeah baby yeah do something that they're gonna say why don't we think of that you're great you're dave mustaine you know we gotta do something really great this time yeah <laughs> we gotta make a record with some like really really good songs on it maybe take a risk or two. yeah no shit it's like when you watch nba games and like they always do these little like after halftime they always pull they get a little feedback from the coach yeah they say the same shit right what are they gonna say they're gonna tell you their plays yeah. they always go uh we gotta get some better looks we gotta control the boards we gotta get back in transition mm-hmm. we gotta make some stops yeah and i'm like what are you you're saying nothing you're basically saying we need to win more yeah, exactly. We need to score more points so we'll win. Because right. apparently at the end of the game, whoever has the most points is the winner. And we need to have yeah. more points. That happens in commentating a lot too, where it's like it's like, well, you know, as you can as you can see, you know, they need to get some more uh, points on the board. It's like, no shit. They're losing. Of <laughs> there, course they there's, do. Like I watch a lot more NBA games than I ever have in my life. And even Isbell, we were watching one the other night and I was like, these commentators suck. Yeah. Why are we talking about this? Uh, because of what the manager oh, told Davis. Yeah, because they just what? Are, what's they? What are they gonna say to their client? Yeah, let's do something really great this time. Hey, we should we should have a record with good songs on it, <laughs> and maybe some vocals. And you know what? For once, a good record cover. Yeah, you know, uh, Rust in Peace wasn't that cool at all, or neither was you know Cryptic Writings. But man, I swear, man. While, while you're reading the rest of these facts, I'm gonna look up who did this cover. Okay. I just have to right. know. Rolling Stone gave it three out of five stars and noted the album in quotes had its moments. Okay. So that's kind of a nice nice way of saying it's not good. Um, another kind of contradicting thing that Mustaine said regarding the reason for risk. The reason for risk was him capitulating to Marty's desires to be more of an alternative capitulating. band. Capitulating. Capitulating, sorry. Capitulating to Marty's desires to be more of an alternative band. And we kept slowing down and slowing down and slowing down. So, you know, it's it's Dave. He, he, you know, on one end it's like, the inspiration was because Lars said I should take more risks, and then the manager said this, and then you know it's like all these reasons that make no sense. Well, and then it's Marty Freeman's fault, right? And then it's the fault of uh, they, they it should have been called something else. How right. about taking some fucking responsibility? You're the you you are mega. You wrote these songs, you know. Own it. They're your songs. Like James Hetfield didn't blame anybody for saying anger. Yeah. In fact, he he kind of is like, well, I'm I'm proud of what that record is, and it found its people. Yeah, and even for Lulu, anytime Lulu comes up, I don't know if the guys had like media coaching about this, right? But anytime Lulu comes up, they're always like, "We're really proud of the work we did with Lou Reed." When Lou Reed asks you to do a project with him, you do it. Yeah, he was the visionary. We were honored to be there. We made a statement. It's not for everybody, but we're proud of it. They were they were ultimately guests. 
Like, hey, you, you I'm, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to be a part of it? You know, well, I mean, but you, yeah, sure. But I'm just saying they weren't like they never try to like blame it on Lou, no. Reed, or blame it on anything. They they just accept what it is and move on. Yeah, even if they don't like load and reload. Well, and, and Mustaine is somebody that is is been known throughout the years to not move on from things he loves to bring up the past he, you know what i mean he loves to blame things on other people and other bands if you know if you could i love that it's marty is. freeman's fault yeah well he, he wanted to be more alternative so things kept slowing down but wait a minute it. does marty freeman co-write any of these songs is he like a creative force in that band i mean i think musically he's I mean, he's not writing lyrics or any shit like that but dave, here's the thing it's it's similar to metallica where dave is the main writer he's the main riff writer he writes the lyrics those dudes come in and put their color on it now there might be some influence where where uh marty freeman's like hey i think we should do this i think we should slow this down i think uh, this should be more of an alternative sound or whatever which also too by 1999 like alternative was, was kind of out was dead it was out alternative out. basically was like 90 91 through 96 i mean 99 was like we're looking at limp, limp biscuits corn all that shit yeah. and boy and backstreet boys pop yeah pop girl bands boy bands uh new metal rap rock yeah kid rock was massive i mean you're late dude we're you're, way you're, late. you're already late in your in your ploy to to in your unartistic ploy to just copy what's cool right you're already late on that yeah exactly because honestly if anyone really crushed that out of the park if anyone was kind of like adapting to the norms of the day you know who fucking crushed that was metallica mm-hmm. because they did it in a way that's still cool they kind of still did it on their terms they had a bunch of big old fat mtv hits yeah a bunch of big old recognizable choruses oh yeah Fuel, memory remains until it sleeps. King, nothing. I mean, yeah, it's insane. But I mean, this. I mean, and and I, and I think we'll probably hear a lot of this, this influence with it, with it, with that uh, that reviewer, Laura Morgan, mentioned or compared it to a, a Nine Inch Nails record. I'm guessing we're going to hear some like industrial sounds on here too. Some, you know what I mean? Like some, which I, that's not alternative. Hell no. It's I don't know. It's weird, but well. Anyways, the last the last thing I, I pulled up was that um, which I'm curious to hear this song. Mustaine would uh, at one point state he believed the song "Wonderlust" to be one of the best songs he had ever written, noting the song's country rock influence style. There, there's that Dan Huff. There's Dan Huff. I mean, what must it be like? First of all, I was thinking about this when you think about like Marty Freeman. Marty Freeman's got to open up Guitar World magazine and read fucking Dave Mustaine blaming him for the album. He's got to deal with that. Yeah. What must it be like to have been in a band with that guy? First of I mean, all, like, well, he wanted to be more alternative, so that's kind of why it sounds like that. Like, whoa, 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 whoa! Like, at the end of the day, man, you're the boss. You could, you could have said no to that. Like, no, this is this is a Megadeth record. This is my band, Marty. We're not doing that. He could have done that. He chose not to. And then, what must it be like to produce him? Like, what Dan? Because Dan Huff, I mean, he has no shortage of experience working with like tough personalities. I'm, I'm yeah. sure Shania Twain's not the easiest to work with, or right. Billy Ray Cyrus, who I've heard is straight up insane. Um. But man, you're you're dealing with. I mean, he did do two records with Dave, but so well, I'd, money talks and bullshit walks. That's right, as uh, Ian says in Spinal Tap. All <laughs> right, let's just dig in and check it out. I've got the lyrics here as well. Yeah, released August thirtieth, nineteen ninety nine. All right, let's see what's going on here. First track, Insomnia. Okay, this is the okay compared to Nine Inch Nails. This song. This is the one that she said, yeah. My head is 
needs. I can see as a Megadeth fan, this being real weird. Like, it's pretty weird. Like, so, so I, I actually hear the Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, I do too. In this part, the musically. Oh yeah. <laughs> in some Mia Mia Mia. Yeah. Mia I like that riff. It's more like Guns N' Roses' My World than Nine Inch Nails yeah. in terms of the swing and a miss. Or I can, I, I, some of these sounds remind me of like Chinese Democracy. <laughs> this chorus, dude. Me, 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 Omni, 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 omni. All the oxen free. Acoustic guitars. Yeah. That Dude, that sounds like a bridge to a Dave Matthews song. Really? Oh. It sounds like Drive In, Drive Out. Yeah. Also, I kind of feel like that rhythm as uh, something to solo over is pretty distracting. Mia, Mia. That dude, that guitar rhythm is totally alternative early nineties. That's so funny. times can we say insomnia in one song omni 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 times i'm gonna go back to that bridge and then i'm gonna play the part of the dave song okay it's pretty wild yeah this is a real long outro got like strings in it oh those aren't were those strings he's staying at the omni hotel it's, it's an ad for the omni hotel all right all right you hear that oh yeah check this out this is drive and drive out from crash 
insomnia, mnia, mnia. Doesn't it sound like that? It totally does. All right. Well, what do you give that? Out? Are we going to do out of ten? I, I guess we can do a rating system here. I'm going to give that. Um, I'm going to give it a five. Five out of ten. Five out of ten. I thought there's a couple of cool riffs, a couple of cool moments, yeah. but overall, I, even that the industrial part, I thought was kind of cool. A uh, little halftime kind of breakdown thing, but other than that, it was, was kind of boring. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of meas, 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 meas. I'm gonna have to give that a two or a three, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd like to be surprised and give something more than a five today, but we will see. <laughs> All right, Prince of Darkness. All aboard. <laughs> <laughs> I like this part. Yeah, intro's cool. I like those toms. It's kind of Danny Carey-esque. That kind of creepy pick scrape is like very tool. I cause millions of accidents. <laughs> Whoa. I take what you love and leave you in tears. I imprison your soul. Your hopes are my gains. I strip you of pride. My promise is in vain. While you burn at the stake, I dance with the flame. Is this a poem I wrote when I was 13? I guess. It'd be weird to be in the studio with him and watching him do this and try not to laugh. Is this song about Satan or something? I guess. It's no lunar Satan, I'll tell you that. Got arrow. Marty Freeman did co-write this. He did, okay. Kind of a fun groove. It sounds like Bad Seed. You're right, it does. Yep. Doesn't it? You're right, it does. Choking on a bad seed. Yep. Just tapping into that alternative sound of Metallica. Kind of, kind of a somewhat classic Dave chorus, similar to stuff on like Countdown Extinction, Euthanasia, and stuff. But it's not great. But (laughs) 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 did we get another one? (laughs) Hello, me. Wow, uh, Dave, can we can we uh, can we get another pass? Another of that? take of that grunt? Yeah, and I just want to get some options. We're gonna double it too. 
I kind of like that creepy harmony background vocal. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Have you ever recorded this place, the tracking room they did this at? No. I don't think I've ever even heard of it. Other than I'm guessing it's in Franklin. Probably. My guess is Franklin or Music Row. Let's look. Music City Circle. Wow. Yeah. Is it still active? Uh, it's still it's there. Tw- according it's 22 to, years ago. According to Google, it's still there. You want to call him real quick? See what's up? Is Dan Huff there? Is this where you guys recorded Prince of Darkness? This <laughs> is my favorite song of Risk. So Dave says, this song to the layman, to someone who's not really going to look very much further than what they're listening to, it's going to sound like it's about the devil. But for me, it's about my own personal devil. For all of us, we all have our own demons. This has nothing to do with the devil per se, but my own personal demons, which happen to be very private to me, but it's very renowned to anyone who knows me. I'm telling you, he can hardly construct reasonable sentences. Yeah. Oh, are we going right into something else? No, we're still in Prince of Darkness. It's kind of cool. That's ominous. real cool. Pew, pew, pew. Uh. Like Marge Simpson with a cold. <laughs> I mean, I'll give it to Marty if that's true that he was like one to experiment more and stuff. It's like I appreciate the fact when musicians want to try new things. And I mean, I- I'm digging some of this eerie guitar shit he's doing. Yeah, me too. It's not really saving the song for me. No, but, no, no. But yeah. Not. What's up? Your comments on Genius Lyrics for uh, Insomnia. Someone said, the Insomni Omni Omni part is weird and kind of stupid, but I don't think the song is that bad. And someone wrote, nobody gives a fuck what you think. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. There's two two comments. Those are the only two. I love it. Oh, boy. They recorded Dave working out, bench pressing. Well, it's like him trying to do the Metallica haze. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give that a three. I'm going to give it a four. A four, okay. Yeah, I'm going to. I liked it better than Insomnia. What do we got next? Enter the Arena. Oh, you bet your butt I will, Dave. Is this like the. Is this a, I think there's like an interlude kind of track on here. Oh, yeah, this is only 43 seconds. Enter the arena. Shout! Shout! Shout at the devil! That's totally the same or similar guitar part. Oh, we got more manager stuff here. You're going to love this. Oh, wonderful. So this goes into Crush Em, but before we get into Crush Em... Okay, let's hear it. The crowd chants were recorded at a fanfare on January 1st, 1999, which took place in Phoenix, Arizona. At the fanfare, Mustaine had the crowd yell Crush and Crush Em, 
while he held a DAT recorder and a microphone. Okay, check this out. I remember the day our manager at the time came to my house and he goes, I got an idea. Two words. Crush them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this manager's got all the good ideas. All dude. the good ideas. You got to do something that makes them bop their head and go, why didn't we think of that? Things like crush them. Something that really cooks. He says the silence was deafening. Look, I wanted to write a hockey song because I was sick of Gary Glitter's song being played in all the arenas. I'm a hockey season ticket holder, and this is a family sport. I didn't want that guy's song anymore. I wanted to write something better. So I wrote the riff, and then I see Bud's lyrics, and I think to myself, this isn't what I was thinking. So yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> so I guess this is him saying... So this, is, this one's Bud's fault. I mean, are we going to give credit to Bud for having the great idea of the two words, crush him? Crush him? So what is he saying? What is Dave saying here? That, that he doesn't like the song? He wanted to write a hockey song because he likes hockey. I guess this was supposed to be pitched to ho- maybe hockey teams or something. I don't know. And uh, the NHL didn't go for it. All right, here's Crush Him. Again, if Dave Mustaine did not like his initial idea, why did he do it? Because oh, he's, oh. he's a dipshit. I was made for loving you, baby. <laughs> Hit the lights. Hey. Oh, a little funky, funky. guitar, Marty Friedman. This is one of my favorites ever, for real. Already? This is fucking hilarious and awesome. Yeah, good. Not the album, the song. Two things you never thought you'd hear is Megadeth and Funky. That's some funk guitar. Yeah, it Straight is. up. Absolutely is. I'm like, hey, Marty, for that one part, play a Strat. I can hear yeah. that that's like a Jackson. Yeah. A cleaned up Play a Jackson. Or maybe even a Telly. Any Fender. I love this. I mean, I gotta say, this is my favorite so far. Crush him! Oh, cool key change. I was made for <laughs> loving you, baby. <laughs> Funky. I'm just trying to. It's like that. That's the porn lick. Yeah. Bow, bow, chicka, bow, bow. I'm just trying to imagine sitting at a pre- uh, National Predators game and this song comes on. It doesn't work. Is it going to get me pumped? It's too slow. No, you're right. Dude, they play We Will Rock You at Preds games. Yeah. Dude, I've heard Pantera at Preds Yeah, they games. play Walk. I've heard Walk, yeah. yeah. I like this chorus. Yeah, same. I could honestly also see this as a country song. Four on the Hells floor. Hells lose. Yeah. Like, I could write this song. Yeah. Lamma here, say. Crush. Crush, crush, crush them. Crush those marble lights. And we're talking about crushing beers. Crushing cans. With these slow hands. I could see that part in a hockey game. He's kind of doing the... Da, 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 da. Hey! Right. Da, da. Oh, that's the Gary Glitter thing, right? Isn't that his song? I don't know that what song he's talking about. 
Oh, we got a rap in here? Whoa. I'm telling you, this is a country song. It is. Works. It's kind of got that four on the floor. Yeah. Very Dan Huff. I mean, I can hear the Dan Huff in it. Yeah, I have to remind myself that he's at the helm of this. I mean, I guarantee you that's why it sounds this way. Yeah. maybe see him riding this to like submit to a team or whatever or to the NHL but I don't know it's just crush him John to the devil <laughs> a lot happening this was this the one. first single this one was yeah oh wow <clears throat> I mean so far it's I mean it's the catchiest so far it's it's the one that's that it's the most like you know a song I so this say. says Crush Em is the first single off Megadeth's Risk it stands out as a song because lead singer and guitarist Dave Mustaine implied that creating the song was a huge mistake he says probably the dumbest Megadeth song <laughs> I ever did was Crush Em not that I hate it because we've never released something that I didn't like musically, but I'm not that fond of it. Okay. <laughs> wow. Again, your your manager, Bud, showed you those lyrics. What's his last name? Bud Prager? Bud Prager, I think. Yeah. Um Yeah, he he was shown those lyrics and said, Yeah, let's go with that. And even though he said I didn't like them when he showed them to me, but you still went for it. He said the silence was deafening. Take responsibility, dude. <laughs> All right, the next song is called Breadline. Breadline. Inner Sandman. Listen to this first line right here. The first, it's like a major, minutes, yeah. But, oh, we got a little sensitive Dave happening. I wonder if Jimmy DeGrasso on drums came in like, fuck yeah, we're making a Megadeth record. And he was like, oh. Dan Huff's like, yeah, can you not play fast double kick stuff? <laughs> Pretty cool guitar part. Pretty cool. It sounds like the band Live. Uh, it sounds like an album from theirs yeah. in 2002 that I'm thinking of. This is like a praise song or something. It sounds like a yeah. It's like Lifehouse. <laughs> hanging hanging by a moment. <laughs> Falling even more in love with you. I totally get why a Megadeth fan would hate this. Yeah, well it's like it's like happy sounding. This is like the couple skate song of the roller rink. I mean it's you know, it is weird when any metal band has a song that's technically, you know, major sounding. But uh, I mean it can be done, and I will. I'll throw out their hero of the day. Yeah, and Maiden did that a lot too. 
Oh yeah, the, I mean the chorus to "Run to the Hill." The it, chorus to uh, "Wasted Years." Wasted Years. Yeah, totally. I'm just waiting to hear some like pedal steel or something. A little cowbell. Wait, Brad Paisley guessed it on this one. I mean, I'm just trying to like imagine the average Megadeth fan in their car. They they get to this and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, for real. Well, and what's this one called again? Breadline. Breadline. Well, and we haven't even gotten to the one that is Dave's favorite called Wonderless that country rock influence. So sniffing up the white lines. What's that mean? <laughs> This is a this is a strange record. This is man. real weird. But you know, there's a Megadeth fan out there that this is their favorite album. You know, they're like, I don't care if people say man. Like maybe someone came online with Megadeth with this record, and to them, everything else is kind of crazy and weird, and they love this. I guess it's possible. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Exactly. That's what it sounds like, kind of like. I could sing of your love That forever. kind of vibe, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you know what kind of sounds like to me is uh, like a song that's played during the ending credits of a movie where there was a happy ending. I got some more weird Dave quotes about this song. Love it. I've also noticed that from this record, there's not a prominent like, oh, there's Ellison on bass. Yeah. He kind of has that signature sound. There's not really a lot of band personality. There's not. That definitely was a Dave Mustaine solo. All right. The original version of the song started off like Fears. I love living in the city. Check this out. The original lyrics are really bad. I got bugs on my balls and sores on my feet. I rinse out my beard so I got something to eat. In my Safeway Winnebago, everything's fine. I'm dancing in the bread line. <laughs> Whoa. He says, a little different, huh? But something cool came out of it because we ended up helping support the young homeless kids in America with this song. So it ended up being a good thing. Okay. A little, little humble brag. A little hum- humble brag. Well, I don't, I don't see any evidence of that. What yeah, does that yeah, mean? What, what, yeah, Proceeds from the, the sale from, from, the, from the meager sales of this single. I mean, what, so they so they bought. Were they raised ten dollars? They bought one guy a fucking Big Mac. All right, this is Marty Freeman talking. He says this was my favorite tune on the album at the time. I also did my favorite solo of the album on this song, but is it replaced by Dave without my knowledge? Uh-huh. I showed up in Nashville all excited to hear the mixes, and when Breadline came up, I was especially excited. The solo came, and my mouth dropped to the floor. Where the hell was my solo? I was furious that no one had told me anything until the song was already mixed. It turns out that our managers, oh, boy. There they are. Jeez. 
our managers uh, didn't like the solo I did. They said it was too happy and melodic. He says, well, it was a happy and melodic song. Yeah, agreed, Marty. Anyway, if they needed it redone, they just could have told me. I would have been glad to get back to Nashville and redo it. This lack of consideration certainly planted the seed for me to want to quit the band. It was like if they didn't need my guitar playing, I certainly didn't have to be there. It wasn't like I was Ace Fraley, too high to play and not showing up in the studio. I did a great solo, and I would have been happy to replace it with one that made everyone happy, but no call, no nothing, until I'm standing in the control room listening to the final mixes. I've been there. I'm trying to think if I've ever experienced that. I mean, what, was it also a bummer it, for you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the only difference was I wasn't standing in the control and listening to the mixes with everybody, but it was... Like you had the album at home or something? I, I was getting mixes emailed to me as they were being finished. And one of them was a song that I, that I was told we weren't even doing on a record. And that, like they literally hired studio musicians to play on it in Nashville, 20 minutes away from where I live. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was a bummer, you know, but... So yeah, it's not a great feeling. I can definitely uh, you know sympathize with Mr. Friedman in that sitch. In that sitch. Well, I, I normally kind of like Dave Mustaine's guitar playing, but I thought the solo on that song was not great. Yeah, and he's right though. It's like, dude, you have one of the best like metal guitar players in the world in your band. He can he can he can come in and redo it. Didn't you hear that funky shit on Crush Him? I mean, is that not proof enough? Is that what the funky stuff was on, or was that on Prince of Darkness? Or, uh, I think it was Crush Him. Okay. Um, well, next up, we have The Doctor's Calling. Oh, hello. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Dave Mustaine, MD. He says, a lot of people are... This is Dave Mustaine. A lot of people are imprisoned by their family, whether it's a real institution or just by the silent treatment. People tend to think that blood is thicker than water only in the movies anymore. When oh, we really love someone, gosh. we need to look past the stupid things that they sometimes say or do and never forget that they're family. I know because this happened to me by my own family. Okay. He talks like a like a 14-year-old. Yeah. This happened to me by my own family. This is similar to the thing that should not be. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Little Allison Chains eye in there. Yeah. That was weird at the beginning. That little kid's voice. Daddy, the doctor's calling. There's another Metallica song that sounds like. Maybe a little Devil's Dance. I can't. This is. I can't make a sound. He's imprisoned by his mind. Ooh, okay. He's in a mind prison. I love the guitar work on this part. <laughs> I mean, other than the lyrics, this part's really cool. So oh, this is the chorus. So did it say the family crest is calling? <laughs> the crest of the nave, perhaps? The coat of arms, the crest of the nave. A lot of lyrics about a doctor calling. Oh, my dude, he just wants to tell you about that mole on your back. You may want to yeah, answer the call. That's it. It's a cool riff. It's a little similar to other things. Oh, Bud Prager has a co-write on this song. Of course he does. Fucking Bud, man. He had a that he had that great line. The doctor's calling. 
Hey, Dave, I got another one for you. The doctor's calling. The silence was deafening. Good harmony on that one. Yeah. I don't understand what the song is about. I don't either. He, he gave this whole speech about how blood's thicker than water and you got to forgive your family. Right. What's the doctor calling to say? What? <laughs> I'm so I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Duly noted. Sure. Pretty cool solo. Yeah, I like those little. It's kind of cool in the background, kind of creepy. That was cool. Okay. See, a merciful embalming. A merciful embalming, yeah. What do you give? What do you give? Yeah, uh, yikes! The doctor is calling. I'm. I don't think I can go. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm giving it a two. <laughs> and I'm only giving two because that solo was bitching. The solo was the best part. I gotta agree with you. That's a two. Man, you get a one for just putting something on tape, <laughs> right? You get like, you get a one like a participation. So yeah, yeah exactly. Two is almost the bottom. Yeah. All right. This is called "I'll Be There," and it's not a Mariah Carey cover. Oh dang it! <laughs> Whoa. Final countdown shit happening. We're <laughs> <laughs> headed to Venus. Oh my gosh! Are we in? Are we, are we in a major key again? Open the eyes. It's another praise song. It is. 
Wow. Oh, man. I, I'm feeling for the Megadeth fans, dude. Because for real, like, this is like a fun. This is like just a fun morning for me. I'd never have to listen to this again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm not a Megadeth fan, so no problem. But for the Megadeth fan, I feel bad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm glad I didn't really try hard on this record back when it came out. I was a bit off the Megadeth ride when this, by the time this came out, anyways. I don't hate this chorus. Love it. Four it's got a great kind of eighties. I mean, it's it's Dan Huff. Yeah. I like the long notes. Yeah. Legato vocal notes where Dave's holding out yeah. notes and there are harmonies and melodies. But those to me are his best songs. It's or not best barky. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of nineties Megadeth after Rust in Peace was that. These verses are a fucking head scratcher, man. Yeah, these are weird. I actually like this lyric right here. I see the light in you. We stopped dreaming and started believing. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. These five words, I swear to you. <laughs> This is my favorite chorus on the record so far. Pretty good chorus. Yeah. I mean, it's a little cheesy, but I like cheesy shit. Yeah. Uh. He's doing a lot of, like, talking shit on this album. It's funny. The first line is in, in my hour of need. It's still the... Uh, that's the first line of the first verse of In My Darkest Hour. It's about Cliff Burton. Man, I keep thinking about Jimmy the drummer. Was it like hard for him not to play busy? Just do this shit. Like a country drummer, you know? Yeah, probably not. How about this? It's cool. Kind of, kind of epic sounding. It's cool. It just doesn't fit. It's just weird. Weird for Megadeth. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of it's weird for Megadeth in this record. But. That's very worshipy. Oh, Brad Prager again, co-writer. I don't know a lot of bands whose managers write songs with them. It's, it's weird, yeah. That's kind of weird. Wow.
I wonder if they played these songs live. I mean, maybe Crush Them, because that was the first single. Well, apparently Bud Prager, he passed away in 2008. Oh. He also managed uh, Mountain and Foreigner. Here's what, uh, here's what Dave Mustaine had to say about I'll Be There. The song means a lot to me, and My Darkest Hour was a song about someone who was not there as he was needed. So that's about Cliff? In My Darkest Hour, is about Cliff, yeah. So what does this sentence mean? It was about someone who was not there as he was needed. Like after, he wrote it after Cliff had passed. Like he, the first line of In My Darkest Hour was, uh, uh, In My Hour of Need, No, You Weren't There. Or no, you aren't there, or something like that. I, I, I guess maybe like I, I really, really could use my friend Cliff right now, and he's passed away. So it's just he can't get anything right because the way it's framed, it makes it sound like you're accusing someone of shittily not being there for you. Like it's their fault for not being. Not there. like a bus fell on you. Right. Exactly. You died tragically. Yeah. yeah. It's like for someone who wasn't there when he was needed. Yeah, I need. I really you. needed you when I was fucking shooting heroin into my fucking. Like, toe. I'm sorry. I was dead. Sorry, a bus fell on me. Yeah. Sorry I couldn't be there for you. Also, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, isn't it worded like that? Th- a song it, about someone who was not there as he was needed. Yeah. What? I mean, I he could, died. I, I could see in a, you know, uh, a situation where, you know, you're going through something tough and you're maybe like calling out to someone that's passed. I'm like, man, I could really use you right now. I wish I had wish this you person. Were here, yeah. You know? But uh, that's what I'm thinking. He just can't land it. Maybe that's what he's trying to convey. But yeah, you're right. He can't land he's, it. Because he's, well, everyone knows what I think. <laughs> And isn't that hard to say something nice about someone who died? Right. I really miss you because I really needed your friendship and needed your guidance. Yeah. Rest in peace. Could he could use that? You know? uh, he says, it was very moving every time I played Darkest Hour back then. I'll be theirs for the fans who always supported us, even when I had problems with my drug addiction again. I want to tell people with the son that I'm there for them now. Like, what does that have to do with Cliff? Yeah. I don't I'm know. there for my fans because they were there for me, but Cliff died. Just so you know, I'm there for you. He says, I guess the concept was the fans have been there for so long and I wanted to tell them in turn, I'll be there for you now. And that's been happening more now that we've been making ourselves available through the internet. People say, dude, in my darkest hour, got me through so many bad days. A tout Le Monde really helped me. Somebody came up to me the other day and said, my father was killed by a train and train of consequences has helped me out a lot. And I thought, geez, that's a little morbid, but I'm really glad that we were there for you. This dude cannot say any sentences that make sense. Like make <laughs> any right, emotional man, sense. Yeah, it's true. Like I could I could interpret that of what he's saying. Like, oh, it's really cool that my music has gotten you through some tough times. Yeah. I'm really grateful that to have been a part of that. Thank you. But what is it what is what did he say about the train thing? Like, well, that's morbid. But I'm really glad we were there for you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> come on, come on. Oh Jesus! Okay, here's Wanderlust. He says, "What he said? This, this is his it. favorite this is song. One. This is his favorite song because of the. Uh, let, me, let me quote it. Uh, because of the, the song's country rock influenced style. Okay, okay. One of my favorite movies is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Where have we seen that before? We, I have no idea. This dude is insane. He's he's obsessed with his old man. Obsessed. Yeah. He won't with Clint Eastwood. Wanderlust is partly about someone who moves from town to town and who has a pursuer who's after him in heavy metal." There are always new bands who try to push the most popular band from the top. The song describes someone who can draw his gun quicker than other than the other one. It's very much inspired by classical duels. I believe he's talking about a six oh, shooter. Well, hell on now. <laughs> I want to find a guy who can draw his gun quicker than the other one. I think I might have found him in this song here, Wonderlust. I like this little scene movie called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, starring one Mr. Clint Eastwood. This song is called Wanderlust, partly about 
Someone who moves from town to town and who has a pursuer who's after him. It's kind of like what we do on tour, and Metallica's been pursuing me forever. They won't leave me alone. In heavy metal, there are always new bands who try to push the most popular band from the top. This song describes someone who can draw his six-shooter quicker than the other one. It's inspired by classical duels. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm intrigued. This is right. his favorite song. Here's Wanderlust. Oh, it sounds just like country music. Yeah. I hear the train are coming. Hmm. <laughs> Man, not really country, is it? This is this record is just a puzzling experience. It's a bunch of puzzle pieces that don't f- fit together. It's really, it's so interesting. I'm actually really excited to not listen to this ever again. <laughs> but I'm having a good time. I, I will say that. There's the country part. This is his wanted dead or alive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the CMA award for most awkward country song of the year goes to. Dead or alive. See what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's like a total wanted dead or alive ripoff. Yeah. This this part's weird. There's your pedal steel. It kind of sounds like Oh my one. gosh. It would, I, I hope that's pedal steel. Let's look at the additional musicians on this. See if there's any pedal steel players. It could have been Marty's on slide. Who knows? No, there's no other additional musicians. Well, son of a gun. You're right. Boom. More talking. A lot of talking. A lot of talking bridges. You're what? Sorry? We celebrate our judgment day. <laughs> it's a little Dave Ellison. It's like they're about to go into a chili pepper song. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Uh-oh.
Sleep with one eye open. Is that the second Metallica lyric on here? He said hit the lights earlier. Mm-hmm. Movie about the good, bad, and the ugly. Got the bad seed riff. Yeah. Got the inner Sandman and Major. Yeah, uh, there was the thing that sh- should not be. This dude needs to quit listening to Metallica albums. Yeah, for real. A little shred fest. All right, Dave Ellison, I hear you. He's like, hey guys, I'm still here. melody for the chorus yeah not terrible the lyrics are atrocious <laughs> negative lyrics are just some of the most atrocious lyrics yeah. i've ever seen yeah maybe second only to anthrax yeah well there's the one that they could hear the one that did live i wish paul were here to play it paul paul uh well, there, well, there you have it. It's one of Damon Stane's favorite songs he's ever written. <laughs> that poor bastard. All right. Ecstasy is up next. All right. Ecstasy of gold. Gold made me gold. Oh, this is a new Sugar Ray song. Plenty <laughs> <laughs> morning, there's, there's a halo hanging from the... <laughs> oh... What did he say? Mustaine once called this, quote unquote, the lamest song he's ever written. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll be the judge of that. Because I don't actually hate this yet. (sighs) It's a great Incubus song. I'm trying to think of it as like, okay, let's just make it up, whatever, but. (laughs) Some cool, like, Univibe. It kind of sounds like Echo Brain a little bit. Yeah. I. I need to just close my eyes and just accept it. It's reminding me of something, man. Like fastball or something. Like the way or yeah. something? Yeah. Not this part. I like that chromatic thing. It's cool. It's weird to hear those like very direct sounding acoustics and then like just this real big roomy snare drum. Oh, I'm trying to find it. Uh, they packed up their bags and they started looking. You know? Yeah. Is that a direct acoustic? 
It sounds or is this like, like a, a really right? compressed, clean electric. The one on the right. Yeah, like a flam- it's like a flamenco. It's like a nylon string. Does it like a nylon string guitar? Yeah. It's a bummer that in 2019 we didn't get a uh, 20th anniversary tour of this record. <laughs> With even uh, yet more shitty artwork. Uh, is it like single artwork or something? No, that's the Oh, that's the cover. cover. Okay. I was just saying for the 20th anniversary. Oh, a big, a big, more, a big more, shitty backdrop. More <laughs> shitty artwork. Marty Freeman and Dave Mustaine wrote this together. No Bud? I guess Bud took the day off on this one. That's a shame. <laughs> let me let me give a little masterclass advice to the budding bands out there. All right. Don't co-write with your manager. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't. If he has lyric ideas and presents them to you, just turn around and walk away. There's a reason he's a manager. Yes. We've also just given up on rating these songs. I noticed that. I'm going to give this one... It's not even done yet, but I'm going to give this one a... This is getting a 2.5. I got to give it a 1. Just for just for effort. Uh, it's the lowest I can get. They it. showed up. I mean, I was actually just thinking, like, shame on them. For this one? Just shame on them for not being better. Because they're capable of being better than this. Very. And this sucks. It sucks. Like, I don't begrudge anyone writing bad songs. Most of the songs I've written are bad, but I don't put those out. Yeah. I, I get through them to get to the good ones, and I usually put the good ones out. Ugh, man, yeah, that's that was real rough. So here, here's what Dave has to say. He says, this, uh, he says, this is about a girl who lives in a dream world with a perfect guy that makes her feel complete, but there's no possibility of it ever working out, so she tries to hide it and her feelings for him they both know that this is wrong, so that's why he knows the ecstasy that he brings is a sin. Oh, none of that is makes, it? None of that makes any sense. The ecstasy he brings is a sin. Because she's hiding her feelings for him because he's a perfect guy for her and they live in a dream world, but they know it will never work out. Mm. So she hides her feelings for him and he knows that and that's why he knows that the ecstasy he feels for her is a sin? Does this make any sense? No, not at all. Does not make sense to me. And then he says, Mustaine once called it the lamest song he ever wrote. And then he says, the song means a lot to me, but should have been sung by someone else. No, I don't think anyone else needs to sing that one, dude. <laughs> Sorry. That, that, these are, these, this is a good example of like using your best judgment and saying, maybe the song isn't best for the record. Man. And now your punishment is you have to sing yeah. the Megadeth song Ecstasy from Risk. All right. The next song is called Seven. Oh, seven, and we'll watch them fall. <laughs> I've done that at karaoke many times. Oh, yeah. That song. I've never done it, but I, I could picture you right now. It starts with two choruses. <laughs> Listen, man. And it's a long chorus, dude. Listen, 
I am not scared of a song that starts with a chorus. Dude. Fucking A. It starts with two of them. I mean, I was just listening to Can't Buy Me Love yesterday. Starts with the damn chorus. She Loves You also starts with yeah. the old chorus. I'm trying to see if we can pull this up real quick because we need a little Prince palate cleanser, but this may not work. No one in the whole universe will ever compare. I am yours now, and you are mine, and together we'll love through all space and time. So don't cry. One day, all seven will die. There's a song, dude. Shit, man. Uh. There's some creepy laughing in it. It's very 90s. But here's what I love about it. After the band comes in, they're like, let's just do another chorus. Oh, yeah. Great. Prince is like, That's, it's just so good. Yeah. We should just do it again. All right. So let's go to uh, Megadeth's song called Seven. I'll bet this is better than that. Will it live up to Prince? <laughs> we'll see. Here we go. Cult of personality. Yes. Oh, it's about the seven deadly sins. Gluttony. I mean, it's still kind of, it's still crazy that this is the follow-up to Cryptic Writings, which is a really good record. Yeah, he ran out of ideas. Yeah, this chorus sucks. <laughs> it really does. It's a pretty weird tone. I, I can't. I can't put my finger on like what's making it that kind of guttural. That the tone in that riff remind me of like the intro to like a WWE wrestler or something. this at all how familiar are you with uh, facelift the album facelift yeah i love that record this yeah. sounds like the chorus of sea of sorrow i'll sing bit. i'll sing it over it next I'll time see tomorrow yeah i live tomorrow you will not follow as you wallow in a in sea, sea of, of sorrow. sorrow that's that's what that reminded me of all right marty freeman that's dave yeah Woo! Okay. I mean, that's good. Only thing I've liked so far this tune. Oh, let's play the blues, baby. <laughs> Are we swinging? Whoa, a little zoot suit riot. Are we about to go into Pulled a, on a bottle we- of beer? 
That would have been awesome. Dude. Zutsu Riot. Boom back a bottle of beer. Zutsu Riot. Same as every year. <laughs> hey, Daddy O. <laughs> hey, Daddy O. <laughs> get, get, your, get your swing and souls Ooh, down to the sock hop tonight. With a little cherry popping daddies. <laughs> you guys like the Brian Stetzer Orchestra? Boom, ba, ba, da, boom. Da, da, ba, da, da, da. What is that? Uh, uh, Don't say the way. Is it Hollow Notes? Man Eater? Or what is it? Oh, here what she is comes. comes. <laughs> She's a man eater. Pick <laughs> up. Oh, here she comes. Watch out, boy. She'll chew you up. Oh, here, here she, she comes. comes. She's, She's a man eater. Oh boy, <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing the Lord's work. Oh, really? Are man? Amen. Here's another little tip. Don't write a song about the seven deadly sins. Yeah, that's so boring. Very. Yeah. Here are the seven deadly sins that'll kill you. Have you heard of them? I like the outro. The outro reminded me of Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Uh, what do you give that? <sighs> One. Oh, you know what? That solo fucking ripped. I'm going to give it a three. Uh, that see, one solo See, I was going two just for the solo. <laughs> <laughs> it I, was the best solo on the record. Yeah. Both Marty and Dave's. For sure. Horrible song, though. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's All right. Pretty the, bad. The, next, we have Time, the Beginning, followed by the last song, which is Time, the End. So we got a little concept. Time, <laughs> what is time, the, the beginning. beginning? Yes, throughout history. I actually like this. Sorry, the crotch. <laughs> clock all right it's nice ding, ding, ding. yeah I don't hate this yeah it's nice that kind of a silent lucidity vibe shoot man lying next to you there's some show we just watched on HBO and the, the the final episode like montage. They played all of Silent City. Really? It was awesome. Even the bridge that ah Yeah. The, it was like a you know, the car driving away. Yeah. They played like all six minutes of it. Wow. Man, what was that? Oh, Nine Perfect Strangers. Okay, I haven't seen that. Not good. No? Okay. No. I won't watch it then. This is this is nice. This is nice. I'm having a good time with this one. <laughs> it's not utterly offensive in almost every way. It's melodically very strong. If only he would add some spoken word to it. Well, we'll see. Don't there, count them out. There's don't, still, don't count them out yet. Well, there is still time. Time, the beginning. I can't my final 
It's got a great atmosphere. It really does, yeah. Life is just a speck in space. Shoot, man. Dreams of an eternal resting place. Sometimes, even if his lyrics aren't great, it's the the cadence and the way he phrases it that I think almost make it worse. Yeah. Yeah, he lands them weird. Not even him. Not even me. There's the spoken word. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, I didn't. Is that over? Uh, that's over. Yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I mean, I didn't hate that. That's the best song on the album. I mean, the highest one. I, I think I give the first track a five, which I kind of regret. I would. I would give that a five. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a. F- I'm. You know what? I'm in a good mood because we're almost done. Yeah. So I'm gonna give it a five. Okay, great. This is what he has to say about it. He says. Time the beginnings about how we all try hard to stay young. Time is relentless. Sometimes people age overnight. Some time ago, I met a girl I used to know. I met a girl I used to know? Wait, some time ago, I met a girl I used to know. (laughs) Someone that I used to know. Uh, She had been incredibly beautiful and young back then. I was completely shocked as I saw her again because she had become old and wrinkled. What? And she had gained a lot of weight. Jeez. The beginning describes how time tries to steal seconds of your life. This guy is a douchebag. Dude, okay. Plain and simple. If you you could go back to 999 in a a time machine. A time of the beginning machine? Show him a picture of himself now. Oh, Oh, you think she's wrinkly? Can you believe he just said that? I mean, he said that publicly to press. You 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 described the aging process. Well, first of all, how about this sentence that makes no sense? Some time ago, I met a girl I used to know. So first, <laughs> oh first of all, no one the educational system severely failed him. Yeah, uh, he was shocked when he saw her because she'd become old and wrinkled and had gained a lot of weight. What a dick! What a dickhead thing to say. Jeez, Dave, you are a douchebag. That's. Th- <sighs> Period. Yeah, that's, that's pretty shitty. Okay. It's real shitty. <laughs> how, All about, right. how about time the end? Here oh, we go. Um, yeah. Oh, now this one rocks. See, the time the beginning was mellow. I like that riff. Got up. The first lyric is I see Kronos. Kronos? <laughs> I see Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> Kronos. <laughs> he sees Kronos, dude. Oh my gosh! Is that like a transformer or something? I have What's no Kronos? idea. I mean, it's the next variant of COVID, I think. <laughs> I'm having such a good time. Have you noticed how how much I've sunk in your couch? Yeah, dude, you're getting lounge, I'm man. F- you got both pillows because there's two two pillows sit. Oh, I got a pillow behind my yeah, back yeah. and one for the elbow. Yeah. Frantic. Tick, tick. Wow, this, this did predate that, so.
The end is about when I face Father Time, also known as the Reaper, and my persistence not to let him age me. Oh my gosh. The song's about Kronos, the Greek god of time, ah. who's merciless, who's merciless, and of whom there is no escape. <laughs> Kronos! I see Kronos! Kronos, <laughs> don't go! <laughs> Falcor, tell Kronos not to age me! <laughs> I open my aged eyes and see only Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> this part's fun and shreddy, I guess. Thank God Marty Freeman's saving it. Oh, boy. Man. <laughs> oh, man. I feel delirious. I feel like we just drank a bunch. I feel like I just saw Kronos. Shit, man. <laughs> I'm drunk on Kronos right now. Wow. That was interesting. Woo, boy, Megadeth Risk. Well, we did it, man. <laughs> well, there we go. I'm already in the position. I'm ready for a therapy session after that. Man. I mean, that's the worst Megadeth album I've ever heard. Yeah, that's really bad. And uh, yeah, I hadn't heard it in forever. I probably didn't make it through the first two tracks when I first heard it. To be Why honest. would anyone listen to it if they weren't doing a podcast? I mean, we're doing this because we have a podcast to do. Right, and it's like a fun series we do. So, like, we have a reason to do it. If yeah, if you, I guess if you had a Megadeth podcast, you would cover this record and stuff. But I wonder if there is a Megadeth podcast. There has to. Have be. you ever looked? I don't think I have. Because I Megacast. I, <laughs> <laughs> I I do it myself actually. Cast in peace. <laughs> what else could they be called? Podcast is my is my business, and business <laughs> is business is good. Oh my god, jeez. Oh, okay, let me try to see if there's a Megadeth. Someone podcast. out there that has to be their favorite Megadeth record. It's got that person has to exist. I mean, what if it's a Rome guy? Maybe if I'm feeling particularly masochistic later, I'll find hunt down the Megadeth subreddit and see if uh Oh man. And then do it. You can do a search for risk. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure there's someone out there. Megadeth. Let's see. Megadeth podcast. We're about to find out. Symphony of discussion. That's actually a pretty clever pretty name. Good. Symphony of Discussion. Wow. All right. Let's see what's up. Symphony of Discussion, a song-by-song -song look at the catalog of Megadeth. Okay. All right. Let's see how far they've gotten. Okay. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to like how they're going through it. Not like chronological or anything? I don't, they only have eight episodes. Oh, uh, okay. Is it is it new? Well, actually, you can tell me. So, Chosen One, Chosen Ones. I don't know. Looking Down the Cross. Rattlehead, These Boots. Rattlehead's the, an old one. The Skull Beneath the Skin, Killing's My Business, Last Rites. I feel like they're doing a lot of deep cuts. You'd think if you're doing a podcast and you only have eight episodes out, your first few would be like some of the bangers, you know? A song-by-song -song look at the catalog of Megadeth, the Grammy Award-winning heavy metal band. Each episode, a rotating group of hosts discusses the music, the lyrics, the history, and the context behind that week's song selection. Hmm. It started January of 2021, and they only have done eight episodes. That's the thing, man. <clears throat> most most podcasts don't last they because don't. it's fucking hard to do. It's a, it, it takes a lot of time. I mean, eight episodes in a in a year. That's pretty lame. It's almost as lame as this fucking Megadeth album. We just I mean, even to. if even if your goal was to do one episode a month, they should have twelve. I don't <sighs> well, know. it's got to be hard to talk about Megadeth every week. Yeah, if you're an adult. I mean, can you imagine every, once a week having a show where you analyze Dave Mustaine's lyrics? <laughs> 
I see Kronos. <laughs> Welcome to Symphony of Discussion. I'm Kronos. That is a great podcast title, though. That really is. Symphony of Discussion is good. That seems to be the only one. All right. Well, shoot, man. Someone else. We're not going to do it. So someone else. When I search for Megadeth, we come up on this. Really? Yeah. No big, Our Metallica podcast no big comes deal. up on it. No big deal, man. Well, all <sighs> I can do is give an honest evaluation. It doesn't doesn't do Dave Mustaine any favors that we're like in a Beatles kick right now. Or that we do a Metallica. I, well, podcast. listen. I think even if I think even if none of those things existed in our lives, if you and I sat down and just for fun listened to Risk, we'd probably have the same reactions to that. I don't think it, it's just not a good record. It's really not a good record. And you know, it sounds like Dave knows that. You know. Yeah. It sounds like he's blamed everyone but himself, but he blamed his manager. He <laughs> blamed Marty manager, Friedman. Marty, damn it. You got to hand it to him. You got to hand it to You make a bad record. You make a record that doesn't make sense. You get back up. You get back on the horse. You, yeah. try, to, you try to, you know, you keep exploring. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you, <clears throat> it follows them to even winning a Grammy for Dystopia mm -hmm. a few years ago. So right. good for them for not, you know, giving up. And for sure. Sometimes yeah. you got to write some bad shit to get to the good stuff we've I all just, done it you just hope you don't put it out i mean think of it this way there there are very few bands in the world that don't have a couple stinky records yeah it's hard it's hard i mean I, there's you know your favorite bands your casual bands whatever most bands have a record or two that isn't good yeah that's true so even my beloved radiohead yeah Tool doesn't, the but they don't have many albums. Do Clash have bad albums? Uh, in my opinion, there's the, the last one they ever did was bad. It's called <laughs> "Cut the Crap," and they don't and they don't even they don't even really acknowledge horrible it either. title. Yeah, it's not great. It was after Joe Strummer basically like fired everybody. Pearl, just, Pearl Jam's got some squirrely stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kiss has a lot of bad albums. Neil Young has some bad albums. Pink Floyd's got some bad shit. I mean, as much of a monster, catchy writer Billy Joe Armstrong is, I mean, there's a couple of Green Day records I don't, I think are stinky. What are they? I think their newest one is not great. What's it called? Uh, the newest is uh, uh, Father of All Motherfuckers. Oof. And they like reused a bit of artwork from another. It's really weird. It's super weird. Not a good title. Not a good title. Artwork sucks. Uh, and it's them kind of doing this like punk rock kind of dancey thing. And in, I, I don't know. It's it's. What are they trying to do with that? I have no idea. I, Bitch Walker did it, which is cool, mm -hmm. but what I, what I had heard was that, that that Billy Joe basically was like, "I'm just kind of I, I need a break from writing Green Day songs." Right. That's when these people need to get a side project. Well, that's the thing. Dude. That band is known for that. They've had side projects for years. Right. They have one called Pinhead Gunpowder. That's rad. They have one called the Foxborough Hot Tubs, which is awesome. Right. Um. It's just like take take some time off and do another one of those. Right. You know. Um. But, but I mean. Green Day also released like this trilogy of records called Uno Dos Tre. Yeah, I remember that. And there's a lot of great stuff on there. But like Use Your Illusion, it could be consolidated. Yeah. You know, right. and, and Billy Joe has like, since acknowledged that. Like he's like, it's too much. Right. But, you know, I admire them for being like, fuck it, let's put out three records. You know, so whatever, <laughs> yeah. man. And all I have to say is everyone's got some stink in them. And uh, this is definitely uh, maybe that's biggest stinker. Well, I give everyone at least a one for showing up because. Yeah. At least Dave Mustaine put the pen to the paper. He mm -hmm. went to the studio. He paid. He paid Dan Huff probably an exorbitant amount of money. Yeah, and he, you know, recorded these songs. That's not nothing on Music Row. So that's cool. Um, but they can do better. They have done better, and I ex I expect more from them. I can't even believe I'm saying that, but I expect more than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. All right. Well, thank you for sitting through that with us. If you made it that far, uh, if hey, you didn't, I totally get it. And if and if Soros is listening or Kronos is listening. We love your work. <laughs> huge fan. Huge, huge Listen, fan. Kronos, huge fan. 
the, the whole time thing the whole time thing it. you really you really are the best at that so hot right now and it's a really hot thing right now and and uh, we're just glad to know you just want to say thank you for all the work you've yeah, done thank with you time. man peace man and uh, <laughs> <laughs> i feel so loony after that record i feel nutty <clears throat> Well, we're wrapping up the year. We're moving towards Christmas and the new year, and I'm excited about... Are we coming in year six or year yeah, five? January 1st will be our fifth anniversary starting year starting six. Starting year six. Yeah. Wow. Pretty crazy. Wow. How many we, more Megadeth records do we have to listen to? I think like seven or something. Seven. They've made a lot of records. Wow. Yeah. We still have a lot of Anthrax and Slayer as well. Sorry, what? more slayer i think we do i think we have yeah. maybe seven to ten more that's each all, of those bands all right too. well that's all good <laughs> that's all you know that's all we're gonna do in in, in 2022 oh man no we still have a ton of shit to do and oh, i'm yeah. excited to see about these 40th anniversary shows i'm sure we're gonna